Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to The Breaking Point. This is officially our second episode. Womp, 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 womp. So thank you for tuning in. It will most likely get better from here, but I make no promises. (laughs) Today's episode is about Lance Timothy Mason. And let me tell you, this Bill Cosby looking ass was batting far out of his league, and I think he knew it. Hence his insecurities and controlling behavior that finally came to a head when he committed a horrific murder against ex-wife and mother of his children, Aisha Frazier. Lance Timothy Mason was born on August 26, 1967, in Shaker Heights, Ohio. Lance's father was a physician, and being a black man in the 70s, with not only a college education, but having such an important position in the community, had truly been a rare occurrence. This provided Lance endless opportunities and granted him the sort of lifestyle most had only dreamt of. This was a time of change and hope as the civil rights movement had opened the doors to a whole new world for the African-American community. Segregation in schools had ended, equal rights in education and employment were in full effect, and the potential was endless for those who aspired for greatness. Lance apparently heard that call, and after graduating high school in the early 80s, he went on to receive his bachelor's degree in political science from the College of Worcester. He later pursued a law degree from the University of Michigan's law school in 1992. Mason's first job out of law school was with the U.S. Department of Agriculture, where he primarily assisted in prosecuting meat processing plants for false food safety records. So think of the colors and dyes and preservatives that they put in and how that may extend the life of what should be considered spoiled meat. That's basically what he was helping to prosecute. He went on to be admitted to practice law on November 19, 1996. He served as an assistant prosecutor from 96 to 99, working with then-lead county prosecutor Stephanie Tubbs, And when she went on to fill the U.S. representative seat, she brought Lance right along with her to be a part of her congressional staff. He used his position as a stepping stone, and from 2002 to 2008, Mason was a Democratic member of the Ohio General Assembly, first as state representative and then as a state senator. And for perspective, this would have been during the time of like the Bush administration and in the thick of the war overseas, certainly not an ideal time to be in politics on any level. And in 2008 of August, Ohio Governor Ted Strickland announced that he had appointed Mason to fill a vacancy as judge on the Cuyahoga County Court of Common Pleas. He remained judge until 2014 following an arrest for domestic violence. This was the beginning to a very dark end for Lance Timothy Mason. You're probably like, cool, who really gives a shit because you told us at the very beginning that he committed a murder against his wife. And you're right. And why am I wasting so much air speaking of this complete dirtbag? Well, 
<laughs> I get the sentiment and I truly don't give a damn about him, but I tell you all this so that you understand his backstory and to just really drive the point home that this was not a gangbanger, a man who was raised on the streets with financial or social obstacles to overcome. He had a silver spoon up his ass from a ripe age. And he had a very different childhood experience from other black men who were raised in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. He was a sophisticated and educated man who knew the law, was trusted to uphold it, and certainly had the mind to talk through complex and complicated situations. It's literally what he did for a living. <laughs> you're, you're sitting in a room negotiating with a bunch of adults who have temper tantrums like children. And, and that's what he got paid to do, to work with all sorts of different um, backgrounds and different characters and their odd mannerisms or character aspects or just weird behaviors. But anyways, you know, this, <laughs> this seemed to be a man who apparently left his work at work along with any skills he learned as well, because he was not as eloquent and fair in his household. He let his fragile ego rule with an iron fist, his insecurities on full display, constantly needing to be the authoritative, dominant ruler of his home. This was a man who came from multi-generational wealth. He was educated. Again, I cannot stress that enough. He was successful and by all means, not the stereotypical idea of a murderer. Like these sort of crimes just didn't happen in the circles that he ran in and that's why I find it so shocking. Now on to the true hero of the story, because I, I, I promise you, there is some silver lining that comes out of this case. It is not all bad, though it's unfortunate it happened. There are some good things that came about, and I'll, I'll tell you about that in the end. But I want to talk about, again, the hero of this story, Aisha Frazier. She was an only child. She was a beloved sixth grade teacher at Woodbury Elementary, and she and Lance married in 2005. And at that time, he was still a state representative. She was smart and caring both for her students and fellow colleagues. There was nobody who had a negative thing to say about her. She was a true joy to be around and just had that motherly instinct that made everybody feel safe and loved and welcomed. She was a volunteer in her church, often serving in the children's ministry. She had an infectious smile and such a sunny disposition on life. Unfortunately, in March of 2014, Aisha and Lance separated. Now, this is only a few years after they had been married. He remained in their marital home and she sought freedom from his control by getting her own apartment. Lance had become smothering, aggressive, and left his family living in a constant state of fear. His explosive meltdowns had become all too familiar and constant, making his family wonder, could they ever measure up? It's said that during their separation, the two still shared a vehicle, um, they co-parented, she was still very much involved in his life. And on August 2nd of 2014, she, she was doing like she always did. She was there to help and assist in a time of need. 
And on August 2nd of 2014, 911 got a call around 12 p.m. The caller describes getting off a nearby train and witnessing two people fighting in an SUV that had passed by. The caller explains they saw the vehicle slam on its brakes in the middle of an intersection, and then all they could see were fists flying. Lance had attacked his wife in the vehicle following a funeral for his own aunt. Apparently, the two had been speaking about their current relationship when Aisha pleads with him to go to counseling. She she felt he needed to process some recent turmoil that was going on in his life that clearly had been affecting him. This included the passing of both of his parents in less than three years. Now his aunt, things were just spiraling out of control for him. Unfortunately, this was not the answer he wanted and must have sent him into a rage because that's when the attack started. His daughters, Audrey and Ava, who were four and six at the time, were sitting in the back seat witnessing the beating of their mother. Lance punches her over 20 times. He slams her head into the dashboard no less than five times. He bashes her head into a window, resulting in the breaking of her orbital socket. And just when you think (laughs) it can't get any worse, they finally come up to a red light. When she gets out of the car, falling to the ground, and Lance places the car in park and gets out after her, resuming his attack by screaming at her, hitting her, biting her face, before finally taking off in the vehicle and leaving her bloodied and injured in the street. (sighs) I cannot even fathom what his daughters must have been feeling in that moment. Like, it had to be sheer terror seeing a man who's supposed to protect them inflicting such extreme pain onto their mother. It's just, how, how do you even explain that away? Not that there's any justification that ever could, but I just can't imagine what the car ride home would have been like with his daughter still there. After he pulls away, there's a car that pulls up to stop and assist Aisha. They are rushing her to the hospital as she dials 911 just a few moments after the attack. During the drive, she's asking operators if they located her car, her children. She's expressing that she's worried that he's going to hurt the girls. Her main concern is not herself. She just wants to make sure her babies are safe. While all this is going on, Lance's sister, Lynn, eventually calls the police to report him being at their home, bloodied and threatening to shoot himself. Moments later, officers arrive on scene and they arrest him immediately for felony assault and domestic violence following the beating of his wife that landed her in the hospital and requiring reconstructive surgery. In the home that day, officers confiscated smoke grenades, several semi-automatic rifles, a sword, a bulletproof vest, and more than 2,500 rounds of ammunition. This dude was suited and booted. Like, I wonder if the threats to self-harm were the result of any true guilt and sorrow for what he had just done, or like a feeble attempt to appear regretful, like, oh, I feel so bad about what I did. I just don't deserve to live. But regardless, <laughs> whatever was behind that, his rage must have ran out because he never acted on this. And I'm sure 
He was probably just exhausted because he just got done using his wife as a human punching bag. Like, the man probably just needed a nap. (laughs) Piece of shit. During his incarceration, a slew of letters came in on his behalf. One was from Marisha Fudge, a fellow representative for Ohio, City Mayor Frank Jackson, a Judge Ronald Swoosterote. I don't know. I can't say his name. It's silly anyways. And quite frankly, if he's writing a letter on this man's behalf, I don't really care to get the pronunciation right. He sounds like a total dweeb. Anyways, they all wrote character witness letters on Mason's behalf and asked for an early release and or charges to be dropped. Sadly, his own ex-wife being in what was described as a dire financial situation wasn't opposed to an early release. See, Aisha was now raising two children and one of which had special needs and on a teacher's salary, that left them between a rock and a hard place. Lance, though no longer able to serve as a state representative or judge, still had access to a public pension and could use that to assist in raising his daughters. So, all things considered, the courts granted an early release after he only served nine months. Now, at the same time that all of his appeals are going through for an early release, Aisha also files a civil suit against Lance for damages and gets awarded $150,000. At the conclusion of that case, Lance gives a public sob apology for his actions. She takes it with stride and attempts to move on with her life and begin co-parenting as best she could. As a consequence of his actions, Lance is also disbarred indefinitely, but with conditions. Um, So that means (laughs) he can petition for reinstatement, which I think is absolutely asinine. But anyways, there's certain criteria that has to be met before it can be approved. The criteria that was set forth in order for him to be practicing in law of any sort again was one, submit a mental health evaluation conducted by the Ohio Lawyers Assistance Program, or OLAP, and obtain a report stating he's able to return to the competent ethical and professional practice of law. So that's one. Number two is he must enter into an OLAP contract with the duration and terms of which to be defined by OLAP. And three, he must comply with all recommendations of the OLAP and his treating professionals. And of course, the cost is taxed to Mason himself. And that was decided on December 28th of 2017. Now, upon his release, he moves into a home that was still owned by his ex-wife, Aisha, but it was rented to his sister, Lynn, at the time. He resumes normal visitation with his children, at first in a supervised setting, and then advancing to normal overnight stays. That same year in 2017, he ends up getting hired by the mayor, Frank Jackson. He's now working as director of minority business development. (laughs) And you would have thought, again, given everything that just happened, he has this golden opportunity in front of him again. He's co-parenting. His wife is really going out of her way to help him. He has this job. Like, this, this isn't something that had to end him. But of course, being the man that he is, he fucks it up. 
On Saturday, November 17th, 2018, Lance's sister Lynn once again is calling 911. And this is around 9.30 a.m. Aisha had just stopped by to drop off the children. They had an agreement that he would be taking them to some sort of uh, instructional class. I, I believe it was karate or tumbling, something of the sort. And she no more than gets out of the vehicle and he begins stabbing her in the driveway. He stabs her 59 times, cutting her throat three times. He viciously attacks her until she has no fight left. And at only 45, she's now laying dead in their front yard. Their two daughters, who were 8 and 11 at the time, stood by watching the horrific murder of their mother once again they stand by to watch these violent attacks from their father the younger daughter is heard on the 911 call asking where's mommy what did you do to mommy and you can hear mason respond with a simple cold she's dead Mason attempts to flee the scene in Aisha's car because he's a pansy and can't own up to what he did but he doesn't get far before crashing into another officer's police vehicle, causing that officer bodily harm. Lance then takes off on foot, running back to the home where he attempts to slit his wrist. Now later, he's seen on body cam footage, sitting on his front porch, just shaking his head, saying, I can't believe I did this. And under the obligations of law, they rush his bitch ass to the hospital while his wife is headed to the morgue. Their children went to live with their aunt and uncle. And Lance initially pleads not guilty to the charges, but then later changes that pleading to guilty almost a year later. He states his reasoning is to not have his daughters forced to testify against him and that he wants to take responsibility for his actions. What I found laughable and humorous is that during these hearings, the judge has to assure that the defendant understands the charges and what they're pleading and agreeing to. Y'all, this man was a judge. <laughs> he, he understands the law. He just has no regard for life, obviously. But anyways, the, you know, it was found that he's totally competent, can make any sort of decisions on his own. He's sane and was sane at the time that he committed the offenses. So he can plead guilty, not guilty. Like the courts have to accept it. He ends up being charged with aggravated murder, murder, felonious assault, violation of a protection order, grand theft, and felonious assault on an officer. Now, during sentencing, they always allow victim impact statements, and the state did request that the officer who was in his vehicle that was struck give a statement. So that officer is Adam Flint, and unfortunately, he was unable to show in person, but he asked that his letter be read on his behalf. He stated it felt wrong voicing his ailments, knowing the fate of Aisha. He stated that when his vehicle was struck that day, he had been getting out of the patrol car. He had one leg out and the other was leaning in as he was getting something. It was moments later, he suddenly felt the pain in his leg. And as the car had been struck with enough force to deploy the airbag, sending smoke pillowing from under the hood, he kind of stumbled out of the car, assessing his injuries, totally unaware how bad it was since there had only been but one small laceration. So he really couldn't see anything that was going on internally. 
He made his way slowly to the ambulance that had been standing by, and he ended up spending three days in the hospital. He suffered with damaged tendons and unfortunately spent weeks in physical therapy before needing surgery. Officer Flint has compartment syndrome in his legs. And don't worry, you don't have to Google it. I did that for us. And what it said is compartment syndrome occurs when the pressure within a compartment increases, restricting the blood flow to the area and potentially damaging the muscles and nerves nearby. In his letter, he stated that he still struggles with daily pain and impairments and hasn't been able to proceed with active duty policing. And it's really taken a blow to his emotional psyche. Other people also had statements regarding not to physical ailments, but psychological scarring that had happened. And one was a childhood neighbor. Um, And apparently they had witnessed this crime through the bedroom window. This little girl hearing the pleas of Aisha for help and telling Lance he didn't have to do this. She was left traumatized. In fact, it was so terrible that the family ended up moving because they could no longer reside in that home with those memories. Aisha's mother gave a harrowing statement as well, speaking of her daughter's legacy and strength and what a monster Lance was and how he had never been deserving to be a father or a husband. She recounted the years of verbal and psychological abuse he inflicted on his family prior to their separation in 2014. Now, Lance claims that Aisha left him suddenly in... (laughs) in that summer of 2014 and without notice and just took the girls. He said from that day forward, he was a different man. Now, (laughs) I I just want to say that I'm still angry that he's allowed to just spew his bullshit. Because if that were true, what really led to that separation? Like, you were the perfect doting husband and then she just left you suddenly and that just... That changed everything for you? I'm not buying it. But that's his claim. And now what he says is that at the time, he and Aisha still shared a vehicle. They were dating. You know, things were going well, though they lived apart. And following the funeral, he demanded reunification so he could have their daughters under his protection. He claims that he had just learned of a family member who had been raped. Now, This sent him in a spiral. He was upset and concerned. And, you know, having this happen to a family member, he just wanted to assure it didn't happen to his girls. (laughs) And I I think Aisha probably saw through that manipulation and instead suggested he go to therapy. And that's when he lost it. He says that it was an obsessive need to want to protect his girls that sent him into that rage. Again, just... (laughs) Heavy side eye. That's not how you protect people. (laughs) Uh, The judge during sentencing commends him for admitting his guilt and avoiding trial to protect his daughter, though he does tell him that in this case, unfortunately, him wanting to protect his children came a little too late. He was sentenced to life in prison with the eligibility for parole after 35 years. Since her murder, a new bill proposed in her name, Aisha's Law, would assist victims of domestic violence. The law will memorialize her in a way and offer protection and support to victims of domestic violence. 
The main piece of Aisha's law is that law enforcement would be required to participate in training and to use danger assessment tools. It would also forbid domestic violence offenders who have previously been convicted from pleading down to a lesser charge. Additionally, legislation would make strangulation a felony. And I didn't know this, but apparently Ohio was the last state in the U.S. to consider strangulation a felony and not a misdemeanor. Aisha's law was passed in the House and now just awaits approval in the Senate. I hate that something so horrendous had to take place in order for these changes to finally kind of make its way through the system. But unfortunately, that's the system we have. It's one that is set to be reactive and not proactive. The laws are not built on what people may do, but it's in response to what they have done. And it kind of continues to work that way. I told you this story had a silver lining, and it's amazing to me that even in her absence, Aisha Frazier is still helping those in need. As for the breaking point in this case, I don't think there was anything that was like monumental or pivotal that happened. Like, Aisha Frazier wanted her freedom. She wanted to be happy. She didn't want to live under his thumb. And apparently that was upsetting to Lance. So... It just, it's inexcusable. The breaking point was fragile ego. So don't be an asshat. Don't think that you have the right to take somebody else's life or control it in any sort of way. And in case you guys have not heard, if Spotify's not your speed, we are now streaming on YouTube. So invite your friends, share, give us a like. We're on Facebook too. We would love to hear from you. If you have a story that you want to hear covered, send us a message. We check those frequently and would love any feedback. I appreciate you listening, and I hope you tune in next week for another episode of The Breaking Point 